0: listeners, welcome to episode three of our Out With Burnout monthly podcast. This is the third of a series of 10 episodes focusing on improving well-being by learning skills for personal wellness improvement. So this is Catherine Rivera-Spoljarek, co-director of the Department of Pediatrics Office of Faculty Development.
1: And my name is Phil Abraham, also one of the co-directors of the PEDS OFD, and we will be your host today.
0: We have had two episodes before this one, and recordings are available for you to listen if you haven't yet. We had a great session on vision with Dr. Jenny Duncan, and another one on self-leadership with Dr. Fad Ahmad. We touched on a lot of important topics, and we have more for you today. But before we start, it's time for Tell Me Something Good. Phil... Do you have any feel-good stories for this moment?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So recently a colleague of mine, uh, he stepped down from a leadership position and we were able to celebrate his accomplishments with over 40, 45 faculty as well as their families. And our group toasted him with different haikus and his family was there and it was really a beautiful celebration. And what resonated throughout his accolades was just how dedicated he is to those around him and... He has grit. He has determination. But underlying all that was just an overwhelming spirit of generosity and compassion. And it was just very inspiring to see. And it's really awesome to celebrate that with like-minded people who also appreciate that and other people. And it was it was really heartwarming. How about you? Do you have, what's your yeah, feel-good story? I love
0: those moments of connection. Um, yeah, so my feel-good story today is a little personal. Um, you know, I have a Three kids. My middle daughter is like getting to those teenage years, and um, right, like I'm not cool anymore. Um, so, in a recent conversation, we talked about uh, she. what you mentioned something, and then she said, "Well, you you don't know me," and I was <laughs> so sad. And like, what are you talking about? Then maybe we should get to know each other better. And then I told her, "Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to do three questions every day." And she rolled her eyes, but she was the first one to send me her three questions so we've been doing it for a few days and um and i loved it and 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 today she sent me a text out of the blue saying i love you mom which is oh my god, completely <laughs> weird out yeah. of the blue but but you know what i'm gonna take it yeah
1: <laughs> good well, you know, as we all do uh, with every episode and we continue to do is we'll have a moment of, uh, of a guided meditation. And so right now, before we move forward, um, let's pause for a moment. And I just want to invite you to close your eyes in the count of three. One, two, three. And being mindful of your position, your spine, keep it straight. Draw in a big breath for about two seconds rooting yourself in the seat, and then breathe out for three, two, three. Again, deep breath in, two, three. Out again for four. And again for three, two, three. Take a deep breath out for four, two, three, four. Continue this breathing pattern as I talk, and I want you to envision you sitting in front of a younger you. Okay? Continue those deep breaths. Let's go back to your college graduation and envision and see that person sitting in front of you. Start by looking at your eyes, your smile, your skin, your wrinkle-free skin, and notice your mannerisms how you were just beaming at completing those four years. Maybe you're a little scared, and maybe you're overwhelmed. And as you look at your younger self, tell yourself that everything will be okay. You're looking at yourself with much kinder eyes, and think of all the support that you received from then on. You may have had a, met a close friend since that time, a significant other, a pet, or you may have, think of other family members that have helped you along since then as well. And as you look at yourself, just appreciate how far you've come. You, that person sitting in that chair, have lived a life so far that this person looking at you would not have imagined. And allow yourself to feel that gratitude at all the experiences that have shaped you to be the physician you are today. Take that deep breath in. Two, three. And as you breathe out, open your eyes. Let's just be grateful that we're in this
0: moment. I love that really trying you know what I was really trying hard to remember what was I wearing I couldn't remember what I was wearing but I love thinking about the happiness and I I I really remember being um just having a blast with my friends um from college in in our row and just no cares in the world we're just happy to go to the next to the next step so thank you for that well we are now ready to dive into our wellness domain discussion Today we are focusing on self-compassion. So Phil, what is self-compassion? What do you think that is? Yeah, so,
1: you know, Dr. Kristin Neff, she defines self-compassion as being supportive toward oneself when experiencing suffering or pain and how we relate to ourselves in instances of perceived failure or inadequacy or personal suffering and self-kindness involves more than just self or ending self-criticism it's more than that it involves actively showing concern for our distress and we try to ease our discomfort we if we can but not because we're inadequate but because we care about ourselves and self-kindness involves being emotionally available when life becomes difficult
0: Yeah, self-compassion focuses on treating yourself with kindness under the understanding that we all suffer, we all make mistakes, and share a wealth of negative emotions. I I can definitely attest for that. And in the event of a negative experience or in the presence of a negative emotion, treat yourself as you would a friend who is experiencing something similar.
1: Right, and seeing yourself from like that bird's eye view is helpful because self-compassion experts have described and published three important elements that drive the self-compassion. The first is self-kindness versus self-judgment. And this is where you understand more of
0: yourself. Yeah. So like taking time to see how much you are judging yourself as opposed to like, you know, trying to understand, um, your behavior or the situation at hand and what happened.
1: Right. Yeah. And the second is a sense of common humanity versus isolation.
0: Yeah. The experiences are as part of mankind that, that sometimes it gets tricky, right? Because like, you know, um, like when you're experiencing something and you're so upset about something you did or a mistake or, or, or something you didn't get, or, um, then, then you forget. You feel like you're the only one. Right. And you, you <laughs> lose you're connection. the worst.
1: Right. You lose connection that, you know what? Thousands, millions of people have probably done this. Yeah. And why are you targeting yourself for doing the same thing? Yeah. And the third is mindfulness versus over identification. And so, this is when you're aware of negative thoughts and feelings without excessively identifying your inadequacies or your negative characteristics.
0: I know, is that like that dwelling, like over analyzing everything and just not moving past it because you keep yourself in that space where the negative emotions and the negative feelings about yourself are the things that are thriving as opposed to the positive ones.
1: Yeah. And you you over identify the wrong things and not identify really all the good things that are going on.
0: And I, I, sometimes I, I clarify that it's just not positive thoughts, right? It's not positive thinking and happy go lucky. So it's acknowledging that there are negative emotions there and uh, but you're trying to find a way to go on by understanding and con- understanding yourself and the situation, and connecting with others through that common humanity. and And this is sometimes hard to do, but um, there have been some published studies that have looked at that. There's an, a meta analysis that found that people who practice more self compassion. Have higher well-being scores, and and this is very important, especially in our field where we encounter difficult scenarios um, in you know, clinical and inpatient side, and outpatient side, challenging challenging disease-related issues on patients we're managing, and or something like failure to publish a manuscript that you are so proud of and you work really hard at, and then the reviewers didn't like it, um, or. To get a grant funded um situations where it seems like it's easy to fall into a parent, pattern of being too hard on yourself and letting those negative thoughts and emotions dictate how you feel about yourself or, or maybe the value that you place on yourself um a, a short example was years ago when i was a fellow um was my division director at that time and um And I always remember him saying, if I could decorate my office with the the times I've been told no um, on papers and manuscripts and grants, I could probably cover the whole walls. (laughs) So um, that, you know, sometimes that that commonality and that finding that connection with somebody else helps um, through tough times. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I always think that our biggest asset is our brain, right? I mean, that's what we spend thousands and thousands of dollars on is to educate (laughs) ourselves and putting us in the situation where we are able to do our job. And whenever we cast that doubt into our performance, that's um, it can be a little belittling to ourselves, and and then you have to sort of unravel and be like, well, that code could have gone better. Was it because of my edu- my lack of education? Was it about the way I approached things? And then you just have to stop and and sort of pull yourself out, and then see all the other things that you've done just as well, um, if not better. And and so yeah, um, you learn to practice self uh, compassion and. And that's a key point, it's it's something you practice. Um, And practicing self-compassion can soften those negative thoughts and help you counteract the effects of difficult, challenging experiences so you can focus on solutions and new ideas and continue to move forward towards your goals. Help your colleagues out instead of reveling back and sitting in the backseat and sort of reminiscing on what could have happened. And you bring positive thoughts to conquer setbacks and failures. And there are studies also that suggest that self-compassion is associated with an ability to learn from failure and with having less fear of failure, therefore more likely to try again.
0: Yes. And it's not um, just saying uh, uh, it doesn't matter, like, you know, or, or cheering it actually acknowledges there was a problem, right? So it acknowledges there is a problem and there is a challenging situation, but it's that um, ability to move forward and to turn it around. There's also some published studies on students that found that self-compassion motivation after failure, so those self-compassion skills um, used for motivation after failure can improve test performance Oh yeah. and athletic performance better than... Fear or uh, or different motiv like fear related motivations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited to learn how to be a better athlete, uh, but uh, but aside from that, you know, we just wanted to explore this topic further, and so let's invite Dr. Barbara Warner to join us today. Dr. Warner is the F. Sessions Cole Professor for Newborn Medicine and the Division Director of Newborn Medicine here at WashU. Welcome, Barb. Thanks for ta- taking time to join us and, you know, we're grateful to have you. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what accomplishments are you most proud of and what do you do for fun? What what surprises about you?
2: I think one of the things that um, I was afraid you were inviting me because of my, my journey along uh, self-compassion, because uh, it has been a journey for me. Um, and so it's something that I think we all struggle with and continue to work on. Um, For me, the things I do for fun, uh, I love to cook. I love to have physical activity outside. I do terrible on a treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, some of the surprising things about me um, that really I'm just beginning to investigate is um, my family is from Slovenia. And we still have a very active dairy farm up in the Julian Alps making some wonderful uh, goat cheese. Uh, So I'm trying to connect with that piece of my heritage as well. And how did you find that out? So my parents are from Yugoslavia, and we've always had connections there. Really, all relatives were there. And so um, this past year, we really made an effort, uh, after my dad passed away, to reach out to our relatives and connect and spend some time together. That's amazing. It was an amazing experience. And talk about... You know, wellness, um, I would say that a dairy farm in the Julian Alps, although it's quite hard work, <laughs> yeah. is quite an experience for wellness.
0: Oh, maybe we should do a wellness retreat out right. there. I, uh, I'm just thinking about of...
1: Brad uh, milking a goat.
0: <laughs> so many <some> mentioned <laughs> as uh, getting back to the basics. Yeah. All right. Well, um, given that this is a wellness focused podcast, we, we ask everybody that we invite Um and, um, and and just to clarify, we invited you because we love you, not necessarily at a, a topic specific, but we love to be with you, and we, we enjoy your company very much. And, um, and your experience is valued. So but we love to ask all our guests, what do, does wellness look to them? Like what does wellness mean to our warner?
2: Yeah, so I've been thinking a lot about wellness over the past couple of years because it is so important um, to all of our faculty and to all of our faculty leaders. Um, For me, if I have to put it into one word, it's probably around the word um, fulfillment, Um, and that has a lot of different components to it. I personally find great fulfillment and a sense of wellness when I'm involved with um, service in my community. I feel great gratitude for being able to do that and that's a really important part for me of of wellness um, and certainly having time for the people that I care for um, and um, continuing to challenge myself and learn. So for me, those are probably the pieces that encompass fulfillment and wellness.
1: I love that. Yeah. Um, So going back to today's topic then, what does self-compassion mean to you?
2: You know, for me, that has been really quite a journey. And I think for many physicians, as they're going through both their you know, undergraduate and graduate and training um, this idea that, that um, you have to be at the top of everything all the time um, can drive people to not be able to see that, you know, life is a journey and there's going to be some ups and downs. And so for me, um, self-compassion means giving myself a break. And I really have to um, do something I call um, cognitive reframing, right? I have to stop myself and say, okay, this is not a good spiral to be in. And to try to take a look at the situation really objectively and say, Number one, am I projecting my feelings onto the situation? Is the situation accurate? And is the situation productive? And I have to stop and sometimes talk out loud um, to help myself get away from that spiral of, I didn't do this well enough, I'm not good enough, you know, uh, I don't have adequate skills to be doing that. Um, and the second piece of it, um, which actually my husband helps me a lot with, is to be able to give yourself enough grace to laugh a little bit, to be able to get out of it enough to laugh a little bit at yourself um, and not necessarily be so, um, um, so harsh all the time. Not that the situation is funny. You know, it goes back to what um, you all had been talking about. Not that there's not... Um, Weight in the situation or not that there's not a problem in the situation But to be able to stand back a little bit um, And say okay, let me take let me take a look at it from a different point of view. Is it accurate? Is it productive and you know and gosh give yourself a break
0: I hear what you're saying, and I, I like that cognitive reframing, um, and and then stepping back and finding humor in the situation. I think that is so important to lighten the load a little bit. Um, I I I hear like you are an uh, the director of the of the newborn uh, division, and being in the NICU. Sometimes I could see in like in any ICU setting how you know the. What, what you do on a day-to-day basis. Every faculty member that is there is taking care of all these critical children, um, and you know, always questioning: Is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing? You know, the the next, right next step in management. And then on top of all that, not just clinical, is like you know, all the um, all the grants and other academic activities that that people want to do and. I'll
2: give you one small clinical, this is a small clinical example, but when I first came here, you know, there were certain patient types that I wasn't as accustomed to caring for. I'd been in more of a delivering hospital than a level four hospital, and there was this one complex patient that I couldn't seem to improve, just wasn't getting better, and really got in a spiral of, you're not a good doctor, you don't know what you're doing you know, a lot of this imposter syndrome that, what am I doing here? They should have never hired me. <laughs> and I, I really had to stop and say, okay, maybe I don't know everything about this particular case, but I'm going to try and get better and I'm not going to get better overnight. And that allowed me enough freedom to be able to really take a look around at the clinical situation a little bit differently. And eventually I was able to find some literature that really provided me with the real answer of why this baby was not getting better. It wasn't me, wasn't the clinical care we were providing. It was something completely different. And for me, that was a real aha moment to be able to say, okay, if I'm a little bit kinder to myself. If I'm a little bit more realistic in terms of those expectations, um, I can actually function better
1: and stepping back is so crucial especially in those moments where just things just fly at you orders just thrown around and and you often lose yourself in the moment and that's um, that's why we have this podcast and that why we're having this this discussion because it's so important to identify um, where you stand uh, and and where we all stand in our in our our um, in our environment that we practice in often we are or we have to step back and we have to say you know what i am the most experienced person in this room um and this patient came to me or the parents came to me for my advice and and this is my impression based on all these years of training that i've done and that's so empowering uh when you stop and reflect on that moment and and so Giving yourself that grace is is very crucial to uh, to continuing to go through your day to day and finding that that purpose um, that you initially subscribed to when you entered medical school.
2: I think the the other thing is um, for me very helpful. Um, my husband and I, um, whatever your support person is, um, we talk about these things. Um, and we both struggle with these things, um, and we try to remind each other, okay, stop, you know, stop, this is, this is not necessarily the, an accurate viewpoint. So having someone that you trust, having someone that you can talk to about it, is also really important and helpful. In helping you bring it out, sometimes you just want someone to listen. Sometimes you just want to—you just want to say, "I just got to let it out." Sometimes I say, "Honey, I don't want you to say anything. <laughs> I just want you to listen." And then after I go on for a while, then I say, "Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about it." So I think that's another important reaching out to other people is is really important.
0: And and, and that exchange actually touches on something we mentioned that that, um, that sometimes. It's like reframing your thoughts to think about it as how you would, you know, you would um, evaluate someone else. So, like, and, and it's great because you have that relationship with your husband that you guys can share ideas. And when you're feeling in a certain way, maybe you can rethink, wait a minute, how would I say this? What would I say to Brad in a situation like this? And not necessarily blow off what happened if it's like a clinical scenario that's less than ideal but um, to like recognize that there was a problem or something happened and how do we move forward um, and and from that so we know you practice self-compassion and I love that but I'm going to ask you something different so how do you how do you practice how often do you practice self-compassion and is it intentional or are you waiting for the things to happen and then kind of Kind of like, okay, I, I need to regroup and think about this a little bit more, or are you intentionally seeking those opportunities day to day? Because we're, we're talking here about clinical stuff, but, you know, there's plenty other situations where we need to practice self-compassion.
2: Yeah, I, it's something I really have to work on. So everybody comes from different traditions, some traditions and some, um, you know, kind of uh, environments that people grow up with are, are maybe more or less toward self-compassion you know um, and uh, you know in my upbringing um, uh, which was a wonderful upbringing um, it was not necessarily one where you give yourself a break all the time and so I have to practice it daily so sometimes it's not clinical situations it can be relational issues Um, it can be um, issues in your family, outside of work, um, and I have to stop myself all the time to say, am I projecting what I think is happening, my feelings, um, not that my feelings are not important, but sometimes we project our feelings of inadequacy, our feelings of insecurity, and our assuming things that are actually not present and so again back to this idea of cognitive reframing is it accurate is what I'm thinking accurate what's the evidence you know we're all scientists and <laughs> yeah. what is the evidence that I'm really looking at um, and that's been very helpful for me regardless of the situation
0: yeah that I, I like that advice like to, to kind of like think I'm like wait a minute uh, is this my interpretation of yeah. what's going on? There's like always different sides to the story. Um, and and I love that. That I, I, I like what you're saying there, that I've experienced that with my children. Like, you know, I'm always fighting with, I might have three teenagers, but, you know, like always trying to think, I then I, I've stopped sometimes to think, wait a minute, I think I'm putting my feelings and thoughts here as opposed to just, be quiet and listening to what they have to say.
2: (laughs) And self-compassion, I think, allows you to be able to listen to the other side of things, to be able to step back from the situation and be able to be a better listener um, because you're not necessarily always blaming yourself. You're really trying to understand and have insight into what the real situation is, how the other person feels, I think self-compassion goes along with compassion for others, and the Absolutely. two, um, yeah. the two are closely linked.
1: You talked about some benefits in your well-being when you practice self-compassion, like what you just had mentioned. Um, are there other benefits that you would want to maybe um, advise your? faculty in your own division who may come at you at different angles and may feel inadequate. what do you say to them? how do you how do you say that yeah, um, your practice of self compassion, how does that look like? and that it will benefit your be- your well-being?
2: I think from um, the divisional standpoint, um, and really from all of our environments, doesn't have to be divisional or departmental or you know, any of the environments that we have, um, being able to build a foundation of people feeling comfortable to come and speak with you. So, you know, the phrase now that everyone uses psychological safety, I think people are, yeah, psychological safety, yeah, psychological safety. But finding um, an environment where, and developing an environment where people feel like they can come and, Speak to you. It doesn't have to be, you know, the division director, right. but within your community, within your work group community, that they can come and talk to someone, have that other support person. Like, you know, it's not going to be for me, my husband is my psychological safety, but there's lots of people within the school of medicine that people develop relationships with and feel like they can speak. So that I think. That kind of an environment is really fundamental to be able to support people in their self-compassion. They need to talk to you about it or talk to someone that they're comfortable with um, and then really understand that, you know what, this has happened so many times before. It's, you know, like the story is Sesh Cole story. So many times, no, but it's also so many times, oh, yes, you know, we've all had lawsuits. We've all had difficult clinical situations. We've all, and, and maybe hear other kind of experiences around those things.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the fear of failure is very strong and latching. And especially when you're thinking about caring for another baby another mm-hmm. family, it's, it's a lot of responsibility, but, um, but like you said, it's, it's so important to have that space, um, where you're able to address that fear of failure to overcome it, and 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 without that, it's it's really hard to to progress.
0: Yeah, and and it's not just um, like as you mentioned, clinical or work related. It can be personal. It can be being on a diet and not being able to lose five pounds, and 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 that the frustration that goes along with that, and the, the feeling of not being. Worthy because you can't you can't accomplish something simple, and I should be able to get these things done. Or um, illness in a family member, or or not being able to physically do something because you're hurting or you're ill, and those things can contribute to negative emotions and feelings about yourself. And we've already established that self compassion is hard to do.
2: I, and I will say that in an academic environment particularly one that has such a strong reputation, like Washington University, you will always find people that are doing more that, you know, we tend to compare to the highest levels. Um, and so we tend to focus on our short as opposed to the things that we've really done. and. In in an academic environment, that is amplified like 10 times. And so, again, taking a step back and saying, okay, I, you know, is it realistic for me to compare myself to, you know, a PhD who has 10 years of experience in this particular arena that I'm just starting out in, (laughs) you know, those kind of things can be very difficult. Even among our peers, people are going to be at different levels at different times. And it's okay, you know, being able to tell ourselves, it's okay that I'm doing this and not this, because you can't do everything all the time.
0: Self-compassion is difficult, but I think self-criticism, self-judgment is difficult too, just in a different way. What do you think? Like, like, how do you compare those two? So, you know, you spend a lot of time criticizing yourself and everything that you do and perhaps comparing yourself. And, and that um, increases the hardships that you go through because it puts you in a different mental space. And then uh, self-compassion is difficult as well, but perhaps has better outcomes.
2: Yeah, and, and I think you said something earlier about fear. You know, when you're in this... Kind of spiral of negativity and self criticism, it is spurred somewhat by fear. um, And that really limits your ability to move forward. Um, It limits your ability to see and be open to both failure, um, that can be some of the most productive parts of our lives, as well as looking at things from a different viewpoint.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the moment, you may not feel like you want to grow through the suffering and, and through whatever obstacle you're in, but in hindsight, it's always where you're close to failing that you really see your, yourself exponentially growing to whatever, you know, whatever that looks like for that person. So yeah, you know, self-criticism and self-judgment can lead to feelings of inadequacy and, and it can affect confidence, but practicing self-compassion. That leads you to move forward with your goals while accepting but not dwelling in all the negative stuff that comes around it. Um, so as a division director, how do you help trainees or other faculty members move on from negative experiences or
2: failure? Again, I would go back to building a fundamental environment of, of psychological safety um, and an environment where people can talk about it to each other. Um, I think having someone to that has experienced that before, um, having someone um, very often a more senior person that can help provide a context for it is very helpful, um, and building that kind of an environment I think is key. I, I like that. I like the
0: the this psychological safety and having that safety space that safe space to talk about um a big part of practicing self-compassion is self-care and um that we know we've heard how you practice self-care with the way you talk to yourself um however how do you practice self-care in other ways well, how do you model self- self-care?
2: <laughs> well, we've just got a new dog. <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh.
0: What
2: kind is he? Where's she... He's a great day. Oh my I'm trying a lot of self-care with my <laughs> new dog. I think taking time um, for me in a physical environment outside, um, having some connection with nature is really important. Um, and so that kind of self-care, to be away from it a little bit, is really important.
1: Yeah, I remember you s- scheduling time. You mentioned this. You schedule. You look at your schedule, your planner, and you schedule times intentionally to work out or to to go ahead and go on your walks with your new horse. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's got to be you know intentional. Um, great. So you know, other self-compassion exercises focus on changing the way we talk to ourselves. Having a moment of reflection and perhaps turning thoughts around to mimic what you would say to a friend, such as your cognitive reframing that we talked about, um, or somebody you know you care about in the situation, um, we change a critical negative talk. And is that you said you've you've tried this before? And um, have you encountered any problems putting this into practice, or has this come pretty? Oh yeah, no, all the time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's a journey, really, um, and it um, again having um, having a support system around you is really important. Sometimes other people have to tell you, "Hey, you're you know, you're not thinking about this. Uh, you know, you're not uh, the worst person in the uh, world. You're," uh, and just help you with that outlook. Um, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, when I when I'm really, um, uh, anxious and, you know, things are going to happen like we're in medicine, you know, and we're in relationships. And if you're in medicine, you know, something's going to happen. Um, and being able to take that in context is really important. And it's the same in relationships in our, every other day, our lives with people that we love and people we care for. Um, there's going to be conflict. I think being able to talk about some of that conflict, being able to try to provide some um, self-examination is part of self-care as well, Um, but with a view of understanding yourself um, and not spiraling into a situation where, you know, it's all about me because it's not all about us.
1: And There are ways to learn skills to start practicing self-compassion. Our call to action this week is to start exploring these. Here are a few tips on how to explore this healthy habit of self-compassion. One, you can accept your negative emotions or your negative traits. And then gaining perspective on them. And soon, distancing, distancing yourself from them. You can name and tame. You know, put these feelings into words. And then with that vocabulary, it disempowers you, you to go ahead and address it. And then using time to connect to others. Share your insights at work, at home, with, with friends, with with anyone, just to help you grow.
0: And you can also learn how self-compassionate you are. Go to selfcompassion.org and take the test. <laughs> Getting to know ourselves, as we talked about, is the best way to start making positive changes. I actually took the test. And, um, uh, and I was... Uh, moderately self-compassionate in some aspects, and then highly self-compassionate Great. in some aspects. So I was—I'm excited. So I'm going to go back and uh, take note of those that I need to uh, improve, so I can uh, get to continue to work on my skills of self-compassion.
1: Yeah, and that link will be on our site um, for if, if you want to take it later. And so practicing how to change the way we talk to ourselves or talk about yourself. Treating yourself as you would someone you love and talk to somebody about what you learned today. These are all ways that we can improve this. So thank you, Barb. Thanks for being here and thank you for supporting our wellness movement.
0: And thank you to everyone listening and joining in and participate, participating in our Out With Burnout movement. See you next time and cheers to all wellness. Bye, Barb. Yep, yeah, cheers. <laughs> Thanks for having me.